Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On this next episode, I interview Dr. Michael Page, a healthcare education and business consultant who, with a values and ethics based approach, focuses on self awareness and healing the toxic workplace. Dr. Page has over 30 years of experience in a variety of professional, academic, clinical, and surgical settings. His unique fusion of experience provides the background and the setting for discussion and training deeply rooted in the fundamental and critical aspects of leadership, workplace, and professional relationships. Enjoy the discussion. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for joining together this morning for this important discussion. I'm Michael Page. I'm a doctor of audiology. My background is hearing science, communication sciences. I've spent the majority of my career mostly in pediatric healthcare, um, working with infants and children with uh, hearing loss. Um, we've had the ability for many years now to diagnose hearing loss in newborn infants, premature infants, otherwise, and uh, it's been very, very productive. And and uh, then I've also spent a fair amount of my career in the cochlear implant world, and the whole goal of that is to improve or increase the likelihood of, of children being able to hear and communicate in in a in a world where hearing matters. And uh, but over the last probably ten to twelve years or so, my career has sort of I want to say bifurcated to some degree, along with that clinical element, I've gotten into these ideas of professional uh, relationships and boundaries and uh, workplace cultures and environments. And that really is the space that I'm spending most of my time in now. So um, that's me in a nutshell. I really appreciate you taking the time, um, Mike, to chat with us this morning. And I think what's interesting, as you as you talked about your background, you know, um, working with uh, children and pediatrics, um, and when you describe that in the work with cochlear implants, and you know, I I, I picture um, this this sort of beautiful um, gift that you're essentially giving a child and a family, and the ability for for people to have that increased awareness through sound and through senses. And I know you've also done a lot of work, as you mentioned in the past, you know, decade plus around um, awareness in organizations and, um, you know, the, the self-awareness that people have. Um, and so as we're talking this morning, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. We were sort of talking a little bit um, offline earlier around the importance of awareness and senses and, and just here now, we're doing our best to connect um, through Zoom, um, and our senses are limited, right? We can do visual and we can do audio, but as we were describing, um, there are senses that we cannot actually call upon to connect. And so I'd love to just start off with where we're at right now. We are in, um, I think, month three for some people um, of this COVID-19 crisis. And 
a lot of people are trying to gain a sense of awareness and self-awareness in this crisis. Um, so as you, I guess the first question would be, how is it going for you? Um, and then the second part of that is you're helping a lot of people through this, through this time. You had a lot of engagements already lined up that you were going to do in person. And I'd love to dig into to that a little bit and what those are typically like and how things are going now. Well, thank you. And wow, there's a lot in that, just that simple inquiry. So I speak a fair amount on topic, topics of ethical practices, professional relationships and boundaries. And again, most recently on workplace culture, toxicity, self-awareness, and those kinds of things. But where we are right now is fascinating to me because as we, as we talked about earlier, when we communicate with one another, whether it's on a personal basis or even professional basis, we employ all five of our senses. We truly do. We, we see each other. We, we hear each other. We, it, when it's appropriate, we touch one another, whether it's a handshake or a hug or a, a pat on the back or shoulder or whatever that is, we, we do actually smell each other. And when we're in the same room together, if we hug one another, those kinds of things come into place. And, and, and taste becomes a ritual that we use in terms of our workplace meals together and, and what we swap. And so when, when we come into this virtual environment like this, we've reduced five senses down to two. And we're trying to survive and get by. We're, we're not really realizing what's missing. But what's missing are those other things. And, and as we talked earlier, Bill, if, if I was there around your kitchen table at home, we'd probably have something to drink together. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd be shaking hands. I mean, I've known you for a long time, so I'd probably hug you when I greeted you. Um, we'd, we'd engage in all of that sens sensual um, behavior. And it's, it's very, very important for us to recognize the part that that plays in our relationships and the absence of what we've counted on for so long. Yeah, and I think it's it's really powerful to, to lay it out that way because I think there are probably a number of people that feel a little bit um, lost right now um, in the sense of, you know, we're, we used to have, I would say, rituals, as, as you described, um, you go to work, you shake hands with someone, you go get a meal. Um, and all of that, I think, allowed people to sort of um, divide their day or have a sense of where they are, even like what the sense of what day it is, the sense of where I'm at, the sense of the routine I'm making. Um, and even now, it seems like sometimes I have to ask myself, what day is it? Um, because those logical breakings uh, or logical transitions aren't there right now. Um, as you think about the workplace, you've done a lot of work with people to understand culture of the workplace and toxicity and things that, that essentially chip away at healthy culture. From, from the, the studies that you've done, the work that you've done with organizations, how are you thinking about some of that in the face of what we're facing now? Do, do you, have you thought about what impact this is having on things like culture and people um, you know, stitching that culture together. And then whatever's next, have you thought about what's next for people when 
maybe when people do go back to a place where they're co-located six feet apart or more, how is this going to impact all of that? Sure. I think maybe the, the answer to that question is another question, and that is, what is the cost of the loss of what we have been living without in the last three months? What is, the, what is the cost of the loss of not being able to be in each other's presence? And part of that will fall out to our, we will have increased lack of self-awareness. Um, we will, we've lost a little bit of our sensitivity to one another. And if you and I had to engage in a really difficult conversation for whatever reason, a typical difficult conversation that we might have in the workplace, and, and you and I had to do it either on the telephone or on Zoom. If we do it on telephone, we have auditory only. If we do it on Zoom, we add the video component. We add a visual. Um, but it, And I'm able to see gestures. I'm able to see facial expressions. But we don't have the other senses to help fill in the blanks and to add, if you will, the beauty of that even difficult conversation. So when when we have been in the practice now for three months being without those aspects of our relationships, there is a cost. And I think the fallout of that cost is yet to be seen and yet to be understood. But it, it, it begs the question, how aware are we already of ourselves? And will that self-awareness be, how will that contribute to what the future brings for us? Um, I come back to what I will call kind of the story of two car crashes. And I'd, I'd love to share those two stories with you because they have a lot to do with uh, the, our self-perceptions and how others see us. Um, I was on my way to work one morning. This has been a couple of years ago. I was at a busy intersection. I was parked right up at the front of the line waiting for the light to turn green. I looked up ahead and I could see cars backed up over the overpass. So I knew if even if the light turned green, I probably couldn't go through the intersection. So there was that much traffic. To my right, in the opposing street, I saw a gentleman in a car coming. He had a green light. He was barreling around the corner, unaware that there were cars right there backed up. And he rear-ended, going about 40 miles an hour, impacting three other vehicles. And two cars were totaled out of that. Luckily, thankfully, no injuries. But I, I was a, an eyewitness to what happened to that. I watched as the cars pulled uh, apart and kind of moved off to the side. I watched this gentleman get out of his car. His hood was tented because of the impact. And he cut out and he, he, he just immediately started to survey the damage of his car. He looked underneath the hood. He walked around the front, looked underneath the the hood on the other side, walked around the car again, surveying the damage to his car. And this was before the law enforcement came. And I, I watched him the entire time, almost the hour that we were there processing everything. At no time did he ever even glance in the direction of the other vehicles that he had impacted. At no time did he acknowledge did he look, did he act even slightly concerned about what he had caused? 
and it really it really bothered me just as a, a citizen watching what happened and i was out of my car going to see if everybody else was okay and uh it, it all of that became resolved law enforcement came he was cited um etc um i i'd never forgot about that i still haven't it wasn't a short time later that a um this is car crash story number two, by the way, that an elderly woman was driving on a rural highway and she was going about 60 miles an hour. And for, it was an undivided highway for whatever reason, she turned into oncoming traffic. And what resulted was the head-on collision between her car and some big trucks that were also going about 60 miles an hour. The the analogy to that is, is hitting a brick wall going 120 miles an hour. When first responders arrived, she was still conscious. And the first words out of her mouth were, did I, did I hurt anyone else? And her injuries would prove fatal three days later. Broken legs, broken pelvis, broken ribs, punctured lung, and they would not sustain her. And I've never forgotten that either because um, that elderly woman was my wife's mother, my mother-in-law. And she was always so much like that, just so, so much always concerned with others. And, and yet her injuries proved fatal, yet her last words were concerned for others that she might have impacted. I've always used these two car crashes as a sort of a, a dichotomy story to show how we are perceived and how we perceive one another. And I remember telling these stories once and, and a guy said, well, you don't know what happened to that first guy. You don't know that his dog didn't die in the morning or why. He, and, you know, and I took it. But you know what? You're right. So let me not judge that. But what it came back down around to is, again, how I perceived it and what his, what my perception was of him. And then how this self-perception plays out. And so back to your question, how is this all going to resolve for us? I think we are, um, even unconsciously, taking a, a, a self-aware or a, uh, what's the word, self-assessment. We're, uh, we're, we're looking at ourselves in different ways now because we're showing up to where all we have to offer right now to our work associates and others is a voice and a video. That's all we have to offer other than whatever we produce, you know, online or whatever that gets out to their hands. But, but our presence is going to cost us something in the long run. And we may find ways to compensate for that. I, I think we're doing better at that. You asked um, earlier before we started, you know, have your Zoom calls have been getting better? And the answer is yes, yes, they are getting better. And we're getting better at engaging with one another too. So um, I, I'm, I'm just interested in the long run, what the cost of this will be for our, for our personal and our professional relationships. Yeah, I think it's such a powerful story that you share because there's two things that come to mind. Um, one is that sometimes it requires people to be brought to a standstill. And in your story, right, 
in that case, in that case, it, you know, somebody literally has to crash into something to be brought to a standstill, to be shaken into that self-awareness. Um, and at the same time, I'm wondering if, you know, the stillness that everybody's in right now, as you said, causing them to have some self-assessment to say, who am I? And, and how do I show up in the world? And, and frankly, I'm not, I'm not sure that people have figured out how do I show up in the world when I only have two senses that I can call on. I mean, that's so powerful that you named it. I, I think we've all, we've all been talking around it, but nobody's really named it that way, which is you only have two of the five that you can rely on. The other thing that comes to me as you were talking was this concept of um, where we don't have three of the five, we fill in the blank. I only have two senses. I'm missing three, but my brain is still going to plug in to the best of its ability and, and only on, only on a lot of assumption, frankly, what the other, what the other pieces are. Um, and that's really exhausting and that's tiring. Um, you know, we've, we've read about zoom fatigue and we've read about the, I think these are real things, right? Because sure. in, in some sense, um, we're trying to recreate the three other senses that we don't have. Is that, is that a fair hypothesis? Yeah, of course. I think so. It's, um, these are things that we've taken for granted. And sometimes we feel a lot of anxiety about stuff, but we're, we have no idea why. And during this time, I think some of it can be equated back to what, what am I missing that, that has been in my normal world prior to this? And, and you and I, because we're, I don't know, probably what, eight to 900 miles apart now, I mean, our, the frequency that you and I actually see each other in person is, is infrequent, but when it is, it's, it's different than it is on a Zoom call. And, uh, and we're, we're trying desperately to compensate for the lack of those other senses. And um, there, there's a, also a lot to be said about, uh, there's a lot of social science literature on the power of food in a relationship. And that's where the sense of taste comes in. And uh, because when you and I sit down together, having a meal together, or if you were to come to my house and I provide food for you, Something happens in us in that social context where you and I actually eat from the same serving plate and we share a meal, we share things to drink, we share appetizers, we share desserts, and we, we exchange virtually every one of those senses. Something different happens that is not going to happen on the Zoom call. And, and we're just, we're finding ways to compensate that. And I think prior to now, we really haven't known what that is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, you know, as you describe that, um, I don't know if you've seen the image of, um, obviously, I have a lot of friends in Italy, and Italy's been, um, you know, in, in isolation. Yeah, in isolation for a really long time. But there was this really powerful image of, if you've seen, um, you know, the apartments, the typical apartments in Europe, and they've got balconies, and I saw this very powerful image of um, one family, taking a piece of plywood essentially and, and extending it from their balcony all the way over to somebody else's balcony. And that in, in, in essence became a dinner table and they threw a tablecloth over and you know, they're, they're still maintaining the distance because obviously the distance between the balconies is, is about six feet apart. But on one end, you've got one 
you know, person and family and the other, and they put a candle in the middle and they, you know, they had their, their, their dinner experience, um, within these, uh, these new paradigm. Um, and it was such a beautiful image, but it also kind of broke my heart, right? Because I think about, I think about the importance of ritual and a meal in the Italian culture, um, and how important that is. Um, and I, and I think this is where people are, are really struggling. I, I worry, and I'm curious your thoughts, you know, um, you're, you're a father of six kids. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a big, you got a big family, you got kids who are experiencing this as students, as friends, uh, as, as siblings. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and your, your, your perspective as a father, um, also going through this, um, with, with a family. Well, it's a great question. Um, our kids are kind of spread out everywhere. I've got kids in Montana, um, Southern California, um, uh, throughout other places in Utah. I have one son and daughter-in-law and their little child that live within a block of us. So right now they're still staying within our social circle. But the daughter in, in Montana said, you know, dad, if I, if I come see you, um, in order to come back into Montana, I have to quarantine for 14 days. And that's just the rules of the state. So, and, and it would be similar to our kids in California. If, uh, although I don't think California is employing a, a quarantine requirement, we're all assuming that we're going to be apart for this time. And so um, at least one or two of our kids that are not living in our home are, are close enough to where they're staying in this social isolation circle of ours and the other ones are now on the outside and until things clear up and become better we'll we'll respect that isolation so we're also in fact on on sunday afternoons we often will have a family zoom call and we all get on and just <laughs> we just want to be in each other's presence um, but uh, my oldest daughter who's in her 30s just it, it, a little tearful the other day said, I just, I'm really missing everyone. I just need to be with you. I need to be home. And, and of course we love the visits, but we're, uh, it's, it's taking its toll. It, it truly is. Yeah. I, I can relate in the sense that, you know, I'm one of six, um, kids and I remember we, you know, we bonded over that back when we first met, um, years ago, but I think it's been really interesting to see, just a few things. One is I've observed that um, myself included and my siblings are checking in or connecting with the parents more frequently. So more than, you know, before. than before, right? And even if it's just a, hey, how are you? How are things going on FaceTime? Um, it's more frequent than before. And, 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 and that gives me a sense of comfort. Um, the Zoom calls have been interesting as well because we we too did one I believe for Easter where we all jumped on a call and even even um, you know interesting things that we we learn about each other right I, what we learned was that my parents each wanted their own Zoom invite they didn't want to have to share <laughs> right. which, which I thought was kind of a beautiful uh, observation right um, which is you know, each person wants to join and have their own their own square. Um, I totally get that. To your point around the senses and what's what's in control and what's not in control, I'm not surprised that somebody's like, I want my square. 
Like I don't have a lot of control. Of, of, <laughs> right. Of, I can't see my grandkids. I can't see my my kids. Like if I can get a sense of like I want my square, that that gives somebody you know a, a moment of comfort or control or sense of control. I totally understand it, and that's where some of this I find family dynamics is as you said, we're still learning. There's a lot of things that we're learning. And just when you think we've got it all figured out, something like a global pandemic happens. And it literally prevents you from seeing the people that share the same DNA as you. And in some ways, it, that, is, that is so unnatural. Um, and it, it, it's hard. It's, it's really difficult. You know, I was talking to my brother, who also lives here in Washington. Um, and he works in the financial industry. So he works in a bank and, you know, um, definitely essential personnel. And um, the concept uh, of, for him, it was really challenging because, you know, it, it was, it's one thing to be working in a bank and be told like, you cannot interact with your customers. You can now only do things that's drive-through behind the plexiglass. But then on top of that, it's, you cannot go see your aunt and uncle, um, but six feet away. You cannot see your siblings. You cannot. And I think this is where we've started to feel, again, this goes back to what we were talking about before around awareness and self-assessment. We've started to feel like it's really important for the, for the human race to be able to have connection, not just at a distance. And I'm hopeful, and I would love your thoughts on this as well. I'm hopeful that in the new next, because I don't want to call it a new normal. I avoid that, that word at all possible. The new next there will be more gratitude, moments of gratitude and appreciation for those moments of connection. Um, and I'm hopeful that we see that on all, all fronts, not just family, but in the workplace, you know, dare I say in, in, in politics and, and in commerce, but I'd love your thoughts on that as well. Ooh, that's a, it's a little tender spot actually, because I've had similar conversations with other people. And, and I think what already is part of the new next is the fact that for many people, expressions of gratitude, of love, of affection are coming much more freely. They're just kind of rolling out. And um, you don't hesitate to tell your neighbor that, you know, I, I care about you and I'm, I'm here and I, I, I'll do anything I can for you. And, and yet, in that tight circle of friends, that really core circle of friends, um, where maybe we have at a time or two expressed our love for our close friends. It seems for me and for those around me, I'm seeing it's coming just a little more frequently. We're just seeing it and feeling it more. And, um, and gratitude, um, one of the things I've been trying to do in, in the last few months is to call about three people every day. It's just one ritual that I've wanted and just checking in, not necessarily in my tight, close circle of friends, but even in my sort of casual friend circles, just, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm just calling you. And, and I'll tell you the expressions of gratitude that have come over that. Um, and I've had a few here and there say, wow, how did, how did you know I needed that call today? And, and thank you. And, and they've said things to me that they've never said before. And could that be part of the new next that I hope would never wear off? Yes, I hope so. Yeah. And it makes me, it makes me hopeful as we think about workplaces too. I mean, you've, you've done a lot of research on, um, 
toxicity in the workplace and some of these behaviors that, again, to go back to the the self-awareness, sometimes people don't even know that they've got this this um, behavior that's that's pretty toxic. So as as you think about the research that you've studied in that realm around, you know, toxic workplaces and bullies and um, behavior that is, you know, detrimental to um, the human condition, maybe I'd, I'd say it that way. Do you think that'll change in a, in a post-COVID world? Um, will we balance it in a different way? I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful that those moments of gratitude do come through. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to hear I think it's going to go both ways, Bill. I, I think it is. I think right now, if there was ever a, a tendency for us to become, to have more difficult relationships, it's now simply because we've taken away some of the senses that we use usually to kind of solidify and pad and cushion our relationships. And yet, to your point, I think we're also in a, in a more gracious point with one another. I've noticed even in the grocery stores, people are nicer, people are more cordial and courteous. But um, some of the research that came out of Harvard a few years ago in terms of self-awareness really compelled me. And there were a couple of facts that that uh, or conclusions that came out of that one uh, was that 95% of us means nearly all of us believe that we're self-aware. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that elicited laughter in me too, because I know better, but nonetheless, that's their research that, you know, only five out of a hundred people in a room believe that they're not self-aware. The rest of us are really confident in our self-awareness. But in their research, they said, truly what we know is that only 10 to 15% of people are truly self-aware. So the danger point is what's in between. What's in between the people who really are self-aware and those who think they are. Because that means roughly 80, 85% of us are in a state of, of disillusion, if you will. I mean, we're, we're really unaware that we're unaware. And, um, and, and then, you know, there's a, a lot of, uh, there was a, a quite a few more points of their research, but most of us, in, in fact, I think one of their points was 99% of us have worked with people that are unself-aware. And, um, and at least half of us have worked with more than four people in our work circles that are unself-aware. And then they talked about the amount of um, productivity that's lost because of this lack of self-awareness. And they claim that <clears throat> productivity in a, in a workplace team can be reduced by 50% because of lack of self-awareness. So is this, yeah, this is powerful stuff. And, and one of the things I talk about in some of the seminars I teach is, do you have a line item in your budget for the lack of productivity that is being caused by your lack of self-awareness? And lack of self-awareness isn't just in your coworkers, it's in your leadership as well. <clears throat> so I, it always elicits a bit of laughter, too, when I'm with leadership groups and I ask them, do you have a line item for workplace toxicity? Because it's costing you. 
Um, and uh, a couple of things that have impressed me lately in the research, HBR has done quite a bit on workplace toxicity. I think they did a monumental paper about two years ago, I think, called uh, The Toxic Worker. And it was, I think, one of the great white papers that came out of Harvard. And, uh, and then Simon Sinek kind of, I think he piggybacked on some of this, um, and he talked about um, how we hire people. Do we hire people for their skill and their experience, or do we hire them for trust? And to his point in adding to this workplace toxicity, he said the majority of us in our businesses are hiring first and foremost for skill and experience. And because we're not hiring so much for trust, we don't know. We just know these people that we're hiring are really smart. They're really effective. They get things done. They're highly experienced in the market that they're in. But whether or not we can trust them may be the very thing that costs the relationship. And his point and HBR's point as well was that if we come to where we're hiring for things like trust and integrity first, we can actually hire someone with less skill and less experience and we'll end up with a greater outcome because we have those soft skills in place. And so I wonder in, in, in our new next, as I, I love your term, um, will we be focusing more on trusting one another, um, the exchange of gratitude or graciousness? Will, will we do, do we foster more integrity because nobody's actually looking over our shoulder now because we're at our kitchen table or at our home office? Um, and so do we expect some of these softer skills to emerge? I, I really hope so. And I, I hope that New Next will employ some of these kinds of skills. Uh, I'll be giving a talk later this week online to a group of healthcare executives it's actually in Utah online, but I think it's accessible uh, to anyone who's online throughout the world. But it's uh, the title of that is um, um, Soft Skills Are the New Hard Skills. And uh, I, I really hope that we're moving in that direction, Bill. I, I think if I were in a hiring situation again, where I, I, I think my process would be very, very different now. I think it is extremely timely and extremely powerful as you talked about trust, um, hiring for trust. And I would, I would venture that what I'm seeing in these past couple months is where we have the trust quotient with people, they are actually producing more creative and more lasting solutions uh, and results is what I would say, because, um, we're, we're enabling them. We're giving them this currency of trust and saying, look, we're, the world is at a place we've never been before. Um, and so to your point around hiring for skill, right? Like if we, if we hired somebody for skill and um, a capability or a competency, I'm pretty sure in those competencies and capabilities, it didn't say must be an expert at global pandemic. I mean, there are, there are experts that have studied that, sure. but I mean, I mean the people like day one, you know, plus in global pandemic, you must be able to, right? <clears throat> that wasn't written. But instead, what we've bumped it, bumped into or stumbled upon is in a world of uncertainty and in, in this holding inadequacy, can we ask people, can we trust people to 
keep going and to offer solutions and to have moments of gratitude and, you know, keep businesses running, uh, keep clinics running. And that to me is where I've seen those, those moments of, of hero, you know, heroism. Um, you know, we, we, we listen to the narrative changing on the news about, you know, the, the, the new superheroes are bus drivers and nurses and people working in grocery stores and, you know, the housekeepers at the hospital. Yeah. You like, know. So to me, that's, that's exactly where you're talking about, which is trust. Um, and sure, there's some that everybody's got skills and, and a skill. But without that trust, um, it becomes really challenging to ask anyone or expect anyone to continue doing something of significance, especially under the conditions we're in today. So I, I think it's extremely powerful. I, I, I imagine that discussion that you're having later this week is going to be really, um, really important for people to hear, you know, the soft skills are the new hard skills. And how do we make that transition? Um, which... You know, I think one one last question I have for you is um, is one I like to ask uh, a lot of my guests: is How do you stay healthy and change? It's mm. a great question. Um, for me personally, is the seeking of awareness, self awareness. It really is, and I think I'm among those ninety five percent who think I'm self aware, but I am not and not the way I should be. So one of the, there are lots of ways to stay healthy at this point in time, but one is, uh, or several really would be f focusing on, on self-care. Um, I, I have my morning routine and I'm usually up before others are. And I've just kind of got that time period in the morning of quiet and what I do with that and, and how I work through that as well. Um, I, I love being with the animals that we have. We've got two donkeys, a horse, a dog, a couple of dogs and a dozen chickens. And there's something about that, um, that being in that animal earth world is, is really important to me. Um, walks and visits with people, connecting. You and I have been connected uh, a fair amount more the last couple of months. And I enjoy that, that those things feed me. Um, I, I think how I'm surviving is really uh, making sure that my friends are surviving. And so um, is it a give and take? Is it a, uh, and, and I think back to your point of trust, I'm finding even more friends and more relationships with greater trust. And so a lot of those relationships have actually increased and uh, been strengthened during this time too. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see the trust economy that emerges um, out of this, I think. Um, in the future. So uh, before we close, I would love for you to share with folks where they can find out more about you. Um, you've covered a lot. Uh, you've got a really impressive uh, background uh, as a caretaker and as a leader. So I would love for people to be able to connect and learn more. Well, thanks so much. I, and again, I appreciate it, Bill. Really, your your demeanor always has been a very welcoming one, uh, uh, the demeanor to create a space that invites us to just speak openly, and that's a gift, and I just want to say thank you for that. For those who would like to be in touch, um, I have a website. It's www.md.com 
page, P-A-G-E.org, www.mdpage.org. And there's contact ways to contact me there as well. There's a cell phone there that you can reach out. There's a contact form. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn or Facebook, Michael D. Page. Um, and it should be very easy to, to stay connected. And I'd, I'd like, if there are any of your listeners that would like to connect and even have discussions further, I'd certainly be open to that. And thank you so much, Bill. You're very welcome. I uh, look forward to uh, chatting again in the future. And who knows, you know, in the new next, um, I, I envision, um, you know, we may be, as you said, we may be, you know, work, getting to work together more often, which is to me is a gift. So thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.